All right. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys. Uh, you made it. Spring forward. I lost an hour of sleep too. So did you guys. I might get up a lot earlier than you do because I got to get ready for today. Um, but we're here. And it's good. We're good to be here with everyone today. Well, we are continuing our series, Captivated by Jesus. Uh, Captivated by Jesus, if it will come up on the screen there. Um, anyways, maybe, maybe you guys can help me in the back, back there. It's not coming up on the screen. But uh, Captivated by Jesus, we are diving into the text today. John chapter 7. John chapter 7 is where we're at. Whose glory should we seek is the question that we're answering this morning. Whose glory should we seek from John chapter 7? Uh, John chapter 7 is quite a, quite a lengthy chapter. Uh, I'm going to read some of it just to kind of get us into the context of, of what's being said here. I won't read it all, uh, but just as I encouraged you last week, go home. Read the text afterwards. Meditate on the text. Think about the text. Consider what God's Word has to teach you. So John chapter 7, beginning in verse 1 After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand, and so his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea that your disciples may also see the works you were doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world, for not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to this feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private. The Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people. While some said, he is a good man, others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The Jews therefore marveled, saying, how is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or not. I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory. But the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. Has not Moses given you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill him? To kill me, excuse me. The crowd answered, you have a demon who is seeking to kill you. Jesus answered them, I did one work and you all marvel at it. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it is from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If on the Sabbath the man receives circumcision, so that the law of Moses may not be broken, are you angry with me because on the Sabbath I made a man's whole body well? Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Now turn over to verse 37 with me. On the day of the feast... On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And we come to you this morning thankful for this opportunity to gather as the church, to open your word, to learn from it, God. And we ask that you would help us do that this morning, that you would help us learn whose glory it is that we should be seeking. And this we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we work, we try, we kick, we scream. We do whatever it takes to make a name for ourselves. And maybe we end up in Hollywood. Maybe we end up on the cover of a magazine. Or maybe it's just local fame. A school is named after you. A, a statue is made in your likeness. A plaque is placed in the center of town with your name on it. And a description of what you have done for that town. And sometimes people don't ask for these things and they just happen, you know. Other times people do whatever they can to make these things happen even if it means losing their family or losing their friends. But here's the thing, and I hate to tell you this, it is all for naught. The pessimistic preacher of Ecclesiastes ruins our desire for fame and glory when he writes, vanity of vanities, says the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? And then a later, little later on, Verse 11, he says, There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. You see what he's saying? If it is for us, it is, it is all for naught. Even if we make it, so to speak, we're not going to be remembered. Our life will have been meaningless. It is all for naught. Now, I know that is depressing. Maybe not the best way to start off a sermon, right? But, but here's the thing. It's true. If we are seeking our own glory, it is all for naught. And I know that, that you don't want that to be true for yourself. I don't want that to be true for me. I want my life to have purpose and meaning. I want my life to matter just as much as you want your life to have purpose and meaning, just as much as you want your life to matter. And so how can we make sure that our lives matter? I believe the answer lies in whose glory we are seeking. And so let me show you what I mean here from the text. As we do, as we get into the text this morning, we see that Jesus' brothers urge him to go to Jerusalem to make himself known. And his brothers say this because Jesus is in Galilee right now. Jesus is, is away from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is the center of the Jewish faith. Now, why is that? Why is Jesus in Galilee at this moment? Well, if you look at verse 1, he says, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now, if you remember, they were seeking to kill him because he had healed a lame man on the Sabbath. And as he even moves down into Jerusalem, he has a conversation with them. We read about that during this, the scripture reading time here. He's, he heals a lame man on the Sabbath. And this kind of messes up their system. The people didn't like that. They were, they were, Jesus was taking control out of their hands. He was changing things. Things were becoming different. And then as he begins to explain to them why he did this, he makes himself equal with the Father. And, and the people really did not like that. And so they begin to seek his life. They begin to, to seek to kill him. But we learn in verse 2 that the Jewish feast of booths was at hand. 
Now, this festival of booths, it, it kind of reminds me of a festival that would take place in Decatur, uh, the, the town that I moved here from in my last pastor. And there was this festival there every single year called Reunion. And many of the families of Decatur, they would go and they would live in these makeshift cabins. And they had these cabins that were a part of their family for, for generations. They would, get, they would get passed down. And it was more like a, a screened-in porch than like some log cabin that you might imagine, you know, out by some, you know, out in the mountains or somewhere. It was just this like makeshift screened-in porch that they would go out and they would have to fix it up every single year because no one went out there throughout the year. Just, just like one time a year, these folks would all go to the fairgrounds and they had all these, these cabins out there and they, and they would live in them. And this wasn't like in the fall or the spring when it was like really nice out. I mean, it was like 100 degrees. Uh, so, so you're out there, you're trying to fellowship with people. The fair is in town. So your kids want to go and they want to run and play in all the rides. And it's like 100 degrees in Texas. These folks would go and do this. They would reunite with their friends. They would reunite with their family. People would come in from out of town to stay in these cabins. And like the only way you could get one of these cabins is if your family was from Decatur. Like Jen and I, no, no chance of ever getting a cabin there at all. Your family had to be from there. And this, this is kind of like how the Festival of Booths was. It was similar uh, these folks, they would go and they would live in these makeshift booths, these makeshift homes for the entirety of the festival. And they would do this as a time to remember how their ancestors wandered in the desert and how God would provide for them, how he brought them out of Egypt in the Exodus event. They wandered in the desert. God provided for them. He provided them with manna. He provided them with water. He, he provided them with all of the provisions that they needed. And then he gave them the promised land. And if you're reading through the Bible with us, you're reading about that in Joshua now, how, how God has given the promised land to the Israelites. And then it was also a remembrance for what God had done for them. You see, this wouldn't take place in the summertime. They were a little bit smarter about it, right? This took place in the fall. It was nice, crisp, cool air. And, and, and this took place right after the harvest. And so they had just brought in all of these crops. And here they are. They are gathered together to remember that God is the one who has given them everything that they had. And they're celebrating God's blessings on their life. And that's similar for us. We, we should celebrate God's blessing on our lives. You know, God has given us every single thing that we have. We may not be like farmers who are bringing in crops and, and really see that provision in action every single year, every single harvest, but, but everything that God has given us, the job that we have, the money that we have, the clothes that we have, the house that we have, everything comes from the Lord. And so we should take a time to pause and to thank God for those things. And of course, we have our Thanksgiving every year where, where we do that. But, but even apart from Thanksgiving, we, we should take a time to pause each and every single week to remember all of what God has given us that week, all of the provisions that the Lord has provided for us, just as they are doing here at this festival. Now, this was one of the largest gatherings of the year for for the Jews. And Jesus' brothers know this. And so look at verse three with me, read down to verse five. And so his brothers said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, 
Show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. And so his brothers, his brothers didn't even believe in him. They didn't, they didn't believe that, that he was the Christ, that he was the Messiah, that he was the God-sent Savior. They hadn't placed their trust in him. They hadn't placed their faith in him. But even they knew that Jesus could do some pretty amazing things, some pretty amazing miracles. And so they tell Jesus to go to Judea. And the reason that they tell Jesus to go down to Judea is because they, they saw that his, his popularity with the people had, had decreased a little bit. You know, in, verse, in chapter 6, we're told in verse 66 that, that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. And here Jesus is telling them, look, it's not about you, it's not about me providing for you physically. Remember, he had, he had just given them bread. He had just fed 5,000 men, not including the women and children. And they seek him out again in another city because they want Jesus to continue to provide for them in that way. And Jesus says, look, it's not about, about me providing for you physically. It is instead about me providing for you spiritually. You must believe that I am the Messiah. You must believe that my blood will be shed for you. You must feast on me, he tells them. We talked a little bit about what that meant last week, but, but this became a hard saying for the people. And so many of the people walked away because they just wanted Jesus for what he could give them physically. They weren't looking for spiritual nourishment. And so here it is. The people have walked away from him. And his brothers say, look, Jesus, you got to get your numbers back up, man. You, you got to get some more likes. You got to get some more followers, right? You, you want to be this, this great person. Here is your opportunity. Go down to the Feast of Booths. Everybody's going to be there. Everybody's going to be off work. They just brought in the harvest. Go down there, set up in the middle of town, and start performing some awesome miracles like you've been doing, and you will win the people back. This is what his brothers tell him. And what does Jesus say to them? Look at verse 6. And Jesus said to them, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. After this, he remained in Galilee. Now, Jesus, he, he, he's not like you or I. Jesus is not tempted by his brother's speech. He's not seeking self-glory. No, no. Jesus tells his brothers that his time has not yet come. You see, in the future, Jesus' time will come and Jesus will be glorified. But it won't be because he performed in, in front of a large crowd and dazzled them. Instead, it will be because he hung on a cross in front of this crowd, dying for them. And it will be the Father who glorifies him because he has accomplished the mission that the Father has sent him on. Now, Jesus says, it's not my time. My time will come, but now is not my time. And we have to ask, well, why will Jesus' time come? Why will Jesus hang on a cross? Why will he be killed by the Romans? Why is Jesus' time gonna come? Well, my boys, they, they are playing soccer now. They just started this last week, uh, Thursday, Friday, were their first practices, and and, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're going to be five and seven next month. So just, you know, one more month away and their birthday will be here. But when kids begin to play soccer, well, one of the first things that they have to learn is that, that that white line that goes around the field, like it actually means something. You know, when, when you go outside of that line, 
the play stops. As long as you're, you're within those, those lines, then you can continue to play. You can continue to kick the ball and you can try to score. You see, those lines are boundary lines. Those lines are a, a dividing line. And keeping the ball inside those lines, I mean, it, it can be tough. I mean, it's tough for, for grown-ups. It's certainly tough, tough for kids. And, and they get frustrated. They, they, get, they get upset when, when they hear that whistle blow because, you know, they, they want to they take the ball to the goal. And they don't care how, how they get there. They're going to go to the other field and then come back, you know, and then they're finally going to kick it in there. It's the dividing line that is there. And just like our kids don't like these boundaries, the world doesn't like boundaries either. They, they don't want any boundaries to exist. They, they certainly don't want anyone telling them that they have, they have crossed those boundaries. But, but here comes Jesus. And Jesus tells the world when they have crossed those boundaries. Jesus tells the world that their works, he says there, I testify about it, that their works are evil. Jesus comes and he says, look, even, even your best works on your best day, apart from me, is unrighteousness. It's like filthy rags. God does not accept those. And so he comes and he says, listen, the dividing line, it's me. You're either in or you, you're out. You either believe in me or you don't believe in me. The works that you are doing outside of me outside of a relationship with me, mean nothing. And the world doesn't like that. The world doesn't, doesn't want to hear that. The world thinks, man, I'm a good person. I can, I can work my way to God. I, my, my works are, are what matter. But Jesus says, no, apart from me, your works do not matter. And so the world doesn't like that. And so the world decides, we gotta get rid of this guy. This guy is coming and he is, he's dividing us. He's, he's putting these boundary lines in place and we don't like these boundary lines. We don't like when someone comes and tells us that our works don't matter, that our works are evil apart from him. And so they seek to kill him. They seek to get rid of him. And Jesus says, listen, my time's gonna come. That time's gonna come because I'm gonna keep preaching that message. I'm gonna be the one who divides people in that way. My time is gonna come but it's not now. And this is why I'm not going up to the festival. But we see in, in verse 10, as you heard me read through this, in verse 10, we see that, that Jesus does attend the festival. And so what's up with that? Right? Well, we have to see that, that Jesus attends the festival privately, at least at first. So look at verse 10. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he also went up, not publicly, but in private, the Jews were looking for him at the feast and saying, where is he? And there was much muttering about him among the people, while some said, he's a good man. Others said, no, he's leading the people astray. Yet for fear of the Jews, no one spoke openly of him. And so here's Jesus. He doesn't go up to the feast publicly. He doesn't go up to the feast like his brothers tell him to go up. He doesn't come into town with this big circus. He doesn't get everybody together and say, hey, I'm here. Let me perform some things. I'm trying to pump my numbers up. I want you guys to come back and follow me again. Jesus doesn't do that. Instead, Jesus goes to the feast and he goes privately. And we learn here that, that there is much muttering about him among the people in verse 12. In other words, the people are speaking in hushed tones. The people are, are whispering about Jesus. And some people, they're saying, man, he's a good man. He, he, he is a good man. He's doing some good things. He's, he's healing people. He's done all of these signs. He is a good man. 
And other people, they're saying, no, it's leading people astray. Man, who is this guy? We need to get, we need to get rid of this guy. We shouldn't follow this guy. But they're speaking in these, these hushed tones so nobody else can hear them. They're just kind of in their little groups talking and talking and talking. And so we have to ask, well, why all this secretive talk? Why won't somebody just come right out and say who Jesus is? Why won't people take sides on, on Jesus is a good guy? No, Jesus is not a good guy. Why all of this secretive talk? Well, well, there's all this secretive talk because you have the Pharisees, you have the, the Jewish leaders, and, and they were the ones who were in the limelight at that time. They were the ones who were in charge. And Jesus is coming and Jesus is stealing some of that from them. He's stealing their popularity. He's stealing their people. They don't want to lose their power. And, and we're not told specifically in this verse, but, but as you move a little bit further through the Gospel of John, in John chapter 9, verse 22, we learn that there, those who confess Jesus as the Christ will be, will be put out of the synagogue. And so these people have threatened the people, or, or the leaders have threatened the people. And they don't want to get put out of the synagogue. Because if you get put out of the synagogue, I mean, life is really hard for you. You can't do business. You, you really just, you don't have people to fellowship with. Your entire life revolved around the synagogue. And these people didn't want to be pushed out. And so, so they're still talking, but, but they're talking in these hushed tones. Now, in a similar way, that, that's what's happening today. Many people aren't able to speak freely and openly about Jesus, particularly in, in certain professions like the sciences and medicine and law, right? The, these professions are, are dominated mainly by those from a secular bent and, and people who are, who are coming in and talking about or believe in a traditional view of marriage or, or who are evangelical Christians who believe that Jesus is the only way to the Savior, that Jesus is the one who provides us with eternal life. These folks are being pushed out. These folks are being being silenced. They're not able to really talk openly about that. And what that tells us is that the powers that be today are really no different than the Jewish powers in that day. They don't want to be confronted with this boundary line, nor do they want their power and their glory taken away because it is the power and the glory that they have. It is the prestige that they have. It is the position that they have that is providing them with meaning in life. But remember that kind of depressing introduction? Right? Remember what, what the preacher in Ecclesiastes says? If, if it's for us, it's all for naught. If we are just seeking our own glory, it's all for naught. It's not going to provide us with meaning in life. I mean, case in point, do, do you even know who these Jewish officials are? Their names are not recorded in the text. We don't know who those people were that, that are confronting Jesus, who are threatening the crowd. Their names have been lost to history. And so it's not about our power. It's not about our popularity. It is not about our glory. That's not how we find meaning in life. And so how do we do that then? How do we find meaning in life? How do we make sure that our lives actually count for something? Because I want my life to count. I know that you want your life to count. And so how do we make sure that our lives actually count for something? Well, if we keep going in the text, we'll find out. And as we do, we see that, that Jesus didn't stay hidden for long. So look at the text in verse 14. About the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and began teaching. The, the Jews therefore marveled, saying, How is it that this man has learning when he has never studied? And so Jesus answered them, My teaching is not mine, 
but his who sent me. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I am speaking on my own authority. The one who speaks on his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true, and in him there is no falsehood. And so Jesus goes into the temple. Jesus does not post up somewhere outside of the temple. He's not outside of the city, and he's got his disciples going in there and rounding people up to come out. No, Jesus goes into the very center of Jewish life. Jesus goes into the temple, and Jesus begins to preach openly to the people, and everybody there is astonished not just that Jesus has come, but they're astonished at Jesus's teaching, especially given that he hadn't gone through some rabbinical seminary, right? I mean, there, there, were, there were pathways that you had to take in order to be a great teacher. And they see that, that Jesus hasn't trained underneath any of the rabbis. Jesus hasn't gone to any of these special seminaries. Jesus is there and he is preaching and his preaching amazes them. Jesus is quick to tell them, look, the teaching that I'm bringing to you, this teaching is not, is not my own teaching. I did not come in my own authority. God the Father has sent me. This is, and he is preaching God's word, not his own word. This is why it's important that, that, that we preach God's word and not our own word. This is why it's important that we always look to Scripture, that we always allow Scripture to guide us and to teach us. You know, this is, this is why, why I like preaching through books of the Bible. As we, as we preach through books of the Bible, it's not me who's speaking, but it is God's Word who is speaking. And as we faithfully seek to, to expound God's Word, to exposit God's Word, to expose God's Word, then we are preaching not in our own authority, but we are preaching in God's authority because it is God's Word that has authority, not man. And so we have to always look to the text. We always have to say, what does God's word say? That's what Jesus is doing. Jesus is not, not saying, look, it's not my words. It's the Father's words. I have come in the Father's authority. Now, Jesus is God, of course. But he's saying, I have an authority. And that authority is God. And we have an authority. And that authority is God. And God speaks and God speaks through his word. And so we must allow his word to speak. And he says, look, I'm not here to seek my own glory. I'm here to seek the Father's glory. Popularity and success, it's, it's never going to do it for us. I was listening to a sermon just recently by a pastor in New York, Tim Keller, and, and uh, he's been pastoring there in New York City for over 20 years. And, and he was telling this story about, about this person who was an amazing violinist in their hometown. Everybody praised them, and they, they were first chair at the symphony there in their hometown. They, they were great for their hometown. They decided, you know what, I, I am amazing. I'm going to New York. I'm going to make it big. I'm, I'm going to win first chair there at the symphony. Move to New York. First day that they're there, they walk down into the subway and they hear this, this amazing music. They look around to see who, who is playing this. It's certainly coming from, from the radio or something like that. And, and they look and in horror, they discover that that is this, this homeless man. Who is, who is there playing for money and he's playing the violin. 
and he's playing the violin better than they could ever have done. And they realize right then, I might as well just go back home. I'm not gonna make it. If a guy in the subway who is playing for money is better than me, there's no way that I'm gonna win first chair in the symphony here. You see, popularity will never give us what we want. There's always gonna be somebody who is better than us. And just like popularity won't give us what we want, power won't either. There's always gonna be somebody who is stronger, who is smarter, who is wealthier, who is more well-connected. And even if we can manage to hold some people down and have power for a time, that won't last forever. Revolution will come, revolt will come, you will be kicked out of power. Credentials won't do it either. The, the people thought that, that in order to be somebody in Jesus' day, you had to train under certain rabbis. Jesus kind of blows that whole thing out of the water. You see, there's always gonna be someone who has another letter after their name. There's always gonna be somebody who is trained at a more prestigious school or, or who is greater in their class than you or who has a, a better name than you or who has a greater job than you. Credentials won't do it. These things will not do it. Jesus didn't seek them and we should not seek them either. Instead, Jesus came seeking his father's glory and that's exactly what we must do as well. If we want to experience significance, if we want purpose, if we want meaning in life, we don't seek our own glory. Instead, we seek the glory of the father. We seek to make Jesus's name famous. That's the only way that our life is gonna matter. And why is that? Well, in Isaiah 51, 6, we read this. Lift up your eyes to the heavens. Look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke. The earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever. And my righteousness will never be dismayed. Amen. You see, God's glory God's salvation, God's kingdom is gonna last forever. The plaque, the statue, the, our name, our work, all of those things are gonna be forgotten. But guess whose glory is not gonna be forgotten? God's glory is not gonna be forgotten. The glory of his kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. And those who work for God's glory, who seek to bring, God's, who seek to bring people into God's kingdom, their life will have mattered because God's glory and his kingdom is what what will last forever? And so instead of trying to make our name famous, instead of trying to make it all about us and what we want and our preferences and who we are, we make it all about Jesus. We make it all about Jesus and making his name famous. But how do we do that? And I don't mean like, what are the specific ways that we do that? I mean, we, we invite people into the kingdom. We, we proclaim Jesus's name to the world. We proclaim that he is the salvation of the world. And we call people to be a part of the kingdom. That, that, that's how we do that. But, but apart from just how we do that specifically, how can a people who desperately desire self-glory become a people who will seek God's glory? How do we, we, we want self-glory. We were made for that. We grow up thinking that. We want our glory. So how can a people who desperately seek self-glory be a people who seek God's glory? And said the key is in Jesus' speech that he delivers on the last day of the feast. And the last day was 
What was the day when a drink offering was, was poured out before God and thanksgiving for all of that he had provided, right? They would, they would look back to the food and the water that he provided for the people in the wilderness. They, they looked at the, the harvest that God had just brought in there. They looked at how they had, God had quenched their thirst, how God is providing for them. And they would, they would pour out this drink offering to God and thanksgiving for all of what he has done in a way to glorify him for how he has provided for them. And on the last day of the feast, if you turn to verse 37, Jesus stands up on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so on the last day of the feast, the most significant day of the feast, the day where where that drink offering will be poured out and given to all of what God has done for them, Jesus stands up in the middle of the crowd and Jesus offers himself as that drink offering. He says, look, all of those who would drink of me will have life. He places himself in the middle instead of this drink offering. And he offers this. He invites all of those who would come to him to drink of him. And when they do, he says, you will receive the spirit. You will receive this living water. And it's the spirit that changes us from those who desire to seek our own glory to those who seek God's glory. You see, we can't bring about this change in and of ourselves. We need the Spirit. Remember, we are people who are desperately wicked. We are people who want to seek our own glory. And the Spirit comes in our life and the Spirit works in our life so that now we will seek God's glory. And this this work continues throughout our entire life. This is the process of sanctification. We, We come to Christ and even as we come to Christ, we still are people who want to seek our own glory. And as the Spirit continues to work in our life, this this idea that it is all about us begins to fade away so that we begin to know that it is all about Jesus. It is all about God. It is all about making Jesus' name famous. And it is the Spirit that comes. The Spirit we see comes at Pentecost. And the Spirit begins to work. And the Spirit works in each and every single one of us on a daily basis to bring us to conviction, to bring us to repentance, to show us that it's not about us, but that it's about Jesus. And the Spirit continues to work each and every single day in our life so that we are people who desire God. We are people who desire to make God's name famous. And so we must have the spirit in our life. And Jesus says, all those who come to him, all those who who drink of him, receive the spirit. And they begin to change. And they begin to follow him as the Lord of their life and to make him supreme and to make him their king. But there's also something else that has to take place in order for us to seek God's glory over our own glory. And it's that which comes before the spirit and it's it's Jesus' sacrifice on our behalf. Knowing that that Jesus has come, knowing that Jesus has has poured himself out for us should drive us to seek his glory, not our own glory. You see, we are here today, we we can call ourselves Christians today, 
Because Jesus has come and Jesus has died for us. Jesus has has hung on a cross. Jesus has been beaten on our behalf. Jesus has had the Father's wrath poured out on on him in your place so that you might have a relationship with the Father. It isn't has anything to do with your works. It has nothing to do with who you are and what you have done or who you are today. It has everything to do with who Jesus is and what Jesus has done on your behalf and knowing that knowing that Jesus has done that for you you shouldn't seek your own glory rather you should seek the glory of Jesus not out of a way to pay him back for what he has done but out of gratitude out of thankfulness for what Jesus has done for you that's why that's how we're going to be people who don't seek our own glory, but seek Jesus's glory. We turn and we believe in Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We receive the Spirit who continues to change us each and every single day from self-glory seekers to God-glory seekers, to people who wanna make Jesus's name famous rather than their own name famous. And when we do that, when we become people who make life all about Jesus and not all about us, it's then that we will find meaning and purpose and significance in life. It's then that what we do on a daily basis will matter, not just for that day, not just for that week, not just for that month, that year, but for all of eternity. Because what we're to be about is people who are calling others into the kingdom. We're to be about people, we were to be people who call others to believe in Jesus as their Lord and as their Savior, and then we teach them to obey all of the commandments that God has given in his word. And as we do that, as we seek to make disciple-making disciples, man, our life has meaning. Our life has significance. Our life has purpose because it's all about God. And as we read in Isaiah, his kingdom is never gonna pass away. It is his kingdom that will last forever and ever and ever. And it is there in his kingdom that we will sing holy, holy, holy to Jesus. We will sing glories to him for all eternity. And so if you're thirsting for worth, if you're thirsting for meaning, if you want value in life, come to Jesus. Drink deeply of Jesus today. If anyone thirsts, Jesus says, let him come to me and drink. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.